Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. I'm Tracy Jones. And I'm Heather Noble. And this week's topical discussion is based on a news article that we saw on the BBC News website last Thursday. And this is where Intel announced that its chief executive, Brian Krasanich, has stepped down with immediate effect because of in quotes, a violation of Intel's non-fraternisation policy. I'm going to get my words out right this week. Intel's non-fraternisation policy. Okay, Heather. (laughs) That's a word that I didn't even know I needed to know. Intel has a non-fraternisation policy. So I've got to say that it says in, in the article that he had a consensual relationship with an Intel employee, which was against company rules. And apparently the the relationship is in the past, but it was as a result of an investigation. I don't know all of the details. They aren't all out there at the moment. Just this headline stuff was out there at the time of reading it. So, Heather, what do you think? Um, Relationships in work, can we ban them? Should we ban them? Is it a good thing, a bad thing? What do you think? Well, I think trying to ban them is probably nigh on impossible. Um, when when you flagged up this this story, I thought, okay, right, yeah, these you know they say that most people meet at work or in the pub or through a club or association, so you can't employ people and then say, and by the way, don't you dare. Um, you know, have anything more than a working relationship with anybody because you spend so much time in to, the workplace, yes. and you're expected to get together as a team and yeah. work together. You know, it, it so seems only natural on. that you might, yeah, yeah, but get not on a bit further, a, yeah, <laughs> a bit more, not more than get on. Now, I can see from his point of view, he was the chief executive, so it might be claimed that it would be inappropriate for him to have a relationship with anybody else because. Basically, from him downwards, everybody else is a subordinate. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's a horrible word, isn't it? But, everybody well, else if works they're using fraternisation, I think we have to use subordinate. <laughs> so it, it's a case that, you know, it could be that he's used his power and his influence mm. uh, to bring about the relationship. There could be claims of harassment and all sorts. So I can, I can sort of understand that. Maybe if he was having a relationship with a colleague in a similar sort of organization it wouldn't be so bad but yeah anybody who's working for him you can see there might be some problems and i think with any any of these types of things you just need to we need to accept that these things happen and it's more about how we deal with these things when they do happen because or even before because i think if you if you're going to make a, a point of being disappointed or um upset about a relationship in work You've got to surely make it a policy and communicate it to all your staff in advance of that. You can't let the relationship grow and then say, oh, you can't do this. It's either your job or the relationship. I think you need to be very clear up front if you're going to even go down this route and making sure that the policy is very clear. And maybe going down the route of banning relationships or, or being very careful about relationships between managers and their employees. But I think the other thing is it's got to be fair as well you can't have one rule for some and and a different rule for others you know so in in some workplaces it might be okay you know the the managers are married but then their subordinates can't have a relationship with Mm. each other that that doesn't work and I don't think it would work if you went to a a court or an employment tribunal either 
No. I, I went to have a little, little, little look at the ACAS website, which is normally where you hang out, Tracy, but I thought... I'll, you got there before I, me. I thought I'd yeah. go and have a look. And um, there, there, was, there were a couple of really interesting stats. Um, it says, a new survey reports that three quarters of respondents have considered embarking on a romance in the office, and more than half had had a relationship with at least one colleague. So that's more than 50% of people. But when they asked the same group of people whether they believed that office romances had a negative impact on productivity, 84% of them said that they did. <laughs> so unless they're talking, maybe they're talking from experience. Yeah. And, you know, there are people who I did, been there, got the T-shirt, it's not a good idea, I didn't work as hard. Um, or I've seen people not working as hard when they are romantically linked with people within the organisation. So it's a tricky one. It's a very tricky one. So I went to look at a, a different website then, seeing as though you, you captured the ACAS side of the, the website. And uh, I went to worksmart.org, which is um, a website managed by the TUC. An article there called, Can Our Company Outlaw Relationships That Start at Work? And this article concludes that it's bad HR practice and it's likely to make staff keep relationships secret. Mm. So uh, also they, they suggest that such a policy might conflict with the Human Rights Act, and which ensures that uh, a private life is um, allowed even at work. And also they, they did point out that if you're dismissed as a result of having a relationship at work, there may be a claim for unfair dismissal as well. So it, it does underline the fact, uh, the one that I just mentioned before, that you need to treat all relationships the same as well. You, you can't have one rule for a heterosexual relationship and a different one for a same-sex relationship. So the, otherwise you'd be guilty of unlawful discrimination then as well. So I think essentially be sensible about it. But mm. if, if you're going to make a policy, be upfront about it. And, and maybe what you could do, rather than having a complete ban, maybe you could just ask people to to be upfront about it so that you know the company can make arrangements or make allowances you know to move people around if that's possible in the organization so rather than keeping it a secret yes because yeah it's transparency isn't it and i think i, I um there's a site that i like called experthr.co.uk and um, a lady there, um, a lady called Claire Birkinshaw, wrote an article and, and suggested a few things, some of which we've already covered. But I think that she makes a really good point. She says, put in, a, put in place a policy on relationships at work that balances, and balance is the thing here, your employee's right to a private life against the company's right to protect its business interests. I think that was, um, I think, you know, that's a really sensible one and then also something that I hadn't even started to consider when when looking at this story consider guidelines covering personal relationships between employees and clients customers contractors or suppliers now that's when things could start to get more complicated because you know it uh, did you put something to tender? Did somebody get preferential rate? You know, those types of things. So then that has much more potential to impact on the business itself. So it's the time in the show where we look at events. And um, I thought I'd look into the future. I get my crystal ball out and look at what's happening after the summer's gone and looking into October. Now, in Telford at the International Centre, 
on the 16th to 17th of October. This caught my eye. The Low Carbon Networks and Innovation Conference. Uh, energy efficiency and low carbon um, systems are at the forefront of everything at the moment, it seems. And I thought this just looked like quite an interesting one. Um, it's an opportunity to look at key learnings from electricity and gas network um, innovation projects and also there will be exhibitors from all of these sort of low carbon um, areas so I thought if that's something that is an industry sector that you are involved in or that you might supply or benefit from knowing you know the latest thing then maybe that's a date for your diary so that's on the 16th to 17th of October as I say in Telford. Uh, the next day, coincidentally, further north, on Thursday the 18th of October, I thought this looked like a great one. Uh, Inside and Northwest Dealmakers Awards 2018. I thought, oh, goodness me, Dealmakers, what's, what's all that about? And basically, it claims it is the biggest date in the corporate finance calendar and the opportunity to celebrate the achievements of the corporate finance community. The awards recognise excellence in business funding, sales and acquisitions, and also the range of deals that have been achieved in the region. Uh, you, there are all sorts of um, awards that are being made. Banking Team of the Year, uh, Deal of the Year, 50 million plus, um, under 10 million, Flotation of the Year, Law Firm of the Year, Young Dealmaker of the Year. And I just thought... it. It looked like an interesting one because it, I don't think there's anything else quite like it. So it's it's your traditional, you know, drinks and then the awards and dinner, etc. But um, I will put details of that on our website, thebusiness.community, along with anything that you've got, Tracy. Okay, so I'm looking to the future as well. And I was a bit worried at first because you mentioned October and also that you'd been looking at the ACAS website for the previous... Um, slot oh i don't join things up oh no, no that's no. okay then so i'm i'm talking about the acast national conference which takes place on the 10th of october between 9 and 5 p.m in london and it's going to provide an in-depth examination of how we can use current economic thinking to boost prosperity the future of work the good work agenda flexibility and fairness how to overcome barriers to getting the best out of people, managing change and re-equipping skills for the fourth technological revolution. Industry 4.0. Whoa. <laughs> it sounds really good. Uh, there's going to be uh, key speakers from the world of work, trade unions, government. There's international experts on conflict resolution and uh, I, th I think it's what I'm considering going myself, actually. Where did you say it was, Tracy? It's at the Congress Centre in London. Uh -huh. um, it's not free, I'm afraid, it by, by um, any standards, it's a reasonable price of £295 per person. However, we've got speakers um, such as Sir Brendan Barber, the ACAS chair, Andrew Haldane, the Chief Economist of the Bank of England, Francis O'Grady, the TUC General Secretary, Carolyn Fairbairn, the Director General of CBI, Matthew Taylor, RSA CEO, David Isaac, Equality and Human Rights Commission Chair, and Kevin Ellis, Chair and Senior Partner for PwC. Mm. So I, th I think it's worth considering. I'll put the link for that on our website, the mm. business.community. Uh, all the details are also on the ACAS website. So that's the ACAS National Conference, 10th of October this year. 
let's bring us a little bit nearer and to the 11th of July. We've got um, Pitch at Palace. So that's Pitch with a ampersandy atty thing, not ampersand, you know, the curly at, Pitch at Palace. Um, they're coming to Wrexham. It's um, their second on-tour event in Wales on the 11th of July and it's taking place at the Wrexham Enterprise Hub. Tech entrepreneurs and early stage businesses are invited to apply for, wait for it, Pitch at Palace 10.0. Oh, 10.0. Yeah. So we've got Industry 4.0 and Pitch at Palace 10.0. Well, I I don't understand this trend for putting 0.0 after everything. Tracy Jones, (laughs) (laughs) 0.0. Doesn't sound quite so good, does it? 1.0, the one and only. (laughs) Sorry, to, uh, to to make light of this, it sounds like a really interesting opportunity. Um, and what they're doing is inviting bis- businesses to apply to come to an event called Pitch at Palace 10.0, which is going to be held on the 7th of November. And the tour in itself, the one that's taking place on the 11th of July in Wrexham, provides entrepreneurs with the opportunity to learn about the Pitch at Palace programme. It connects with local stakeholders and you can receive mentoring to develop your business. So applications are now open. There is a a page on the website, um, thetownsquare.co.uk, and we will put a link for that on our website as well. So if you're interested in pitching at Pitch at Palace 10.0, then you can um, consider applying why not go on, have a look. You've got nothing to lose. Mm. Apply and see what comes of it. Now, a few months ago, we talked about this new role that had been created called the Small Business Commissioner. Do you remember, Heather? Oh, I remember. And I said that I would keep an eye on it to see what was happening. And um, to be honest, I went on the blog. It's a bit quiet. The website, <laughs> anyway, is a bit quiet. There are, there are a couple of blog posts the the Twitter feed does seem to be a bit busier, so maybe they're finding you know, the, the the best platform to communicate from. So if you want to find the Small Business Commissioner on Twitter, they are at SB underscore commissioner. It's worth taking a look. However, one of the blogs did catch my eye, and it's about the prompt payment directory. And it's a service set up by um, Hugh Gage, who's a a company founder and managing director. And he's done this in response to the late payment of commercial debts within the UK's business community. It does seem to me to to replicate some of the stuff that's already out there. Uh, We've also talked about the fact that the government has run this program to... um, for large companies to report their payments and and mm-hmm. and and how they're paying their suppliers. Timpsons were named in that, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it, this is described as, as it, it's basically anybody that's got a, a company registration with a company's house. They're on the database, and you can go on and you can rate a business or look at what what's um, been said about a business in terms of payments. I don't know the ins and outs as to whether, you know, you can say what you like or what evidence you need to prove what you're saying. So we know these things where um, you can go on and rate restaurants and cafes. You know, there's a a lot of consternation about that if somebody Mm. puts something on that 
uh, is not correct. So uh, I, I will keep an eye on it. I've searched a couple of businesses that I'm aware of and I couldn't really find much going on there at the moment. So I think it's a, a pretty new service. Um, there is a free version where you can just go on and search the database, you can rate a business and you can amend a rating. And then there's a premium version, which actually, if you find the service really useful, it's a very small price. It's £36 per year. And in addition to being able to search, rate and amend a rating, you can view a lot more rating information and you can delete a rating. So it gives you that extra power. If you're interested in going to have a look, I say if you can think of perhaps looking at a supplier or a customer that you're interested in doing business with, it's worth going and having a look at the database. You can use credit rated agencies as well. And locally, I know if you want to get some credit searches done, you can go to business line at the Wrexham library there and and they'll provide a, a number of those for you for free anyway but th this is just another resource and if it's free then it's worth having a look uh, the website is the prompt payment directory.co.uk I'm not recommending it I couldn't find anything of particular interest on there at the moment but it's another one that's worth watching Okay, and I've got a thing that I think is 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 well worth having a look at. If you are starting your own business or if you provide services for new businesses. When I started my business nine years ago, a lady called Emma Jones had just published a book called Five to Nine. Uh, and that's about setting up your business in the evening, really, after you finish work at five through to 9pm. And a lot of people um, start off building their businesses in that way. Uh, we've talked about the Enterprise Hub at Wrexham and the um, the pitch event. Uh, Enterprise Nation is the brainchild of Emma Jones, and she has um, a, a free email course to kickstart setting up your new business. And I just think it's, I just wanted to flag it up. I came across it, reacquainted myself with the website and it's well worth a look. It's enterprisenation.com. Whether you are, as I say, a new business, whether you have services that would be of use to new businesses, it's well worth a look. They have a number of events, webinars, videos, presentations, eBooks, blogs, you name it. Um, but there are also business opportunities there. And that's why I thought you might be interested to, to know a bit more about it. But that, along with everything else, check out the website, thebusiness.community. Now, Heather, you sent me a little message which uh, recommended what we were going to review this week. So it's called The Extraordinary Business Book Club. I followed the link and I went and I went down all these rabbit holes as I usually do. But maybe it's probably best if you introduce it because I went and found different things to what you found. Mm. So mm. what was your original intention with asking me to review the Extraordinary Business Book Club? And then I'll tell you what I found. OK, all right. That's the deal. It, first of all, I think it's genius. It's the brainchild of a lady called Alison Jones and she has her own website, alisonjones.com. And she has had a career in publishing. Now, in the past, you've, you will have heard us mention four minute books, you know, where you get a precy of the book, a book um, in written form. And that might be business books or it might be fiction, whatever. Um, but this format is a podcast format um, where they're podcast interviews with the author of particular books and are they all business books and these are all business books business related books yes and what they do during that interview and they're about 
there's about 120 of them at the moment. Um, and they, and you know, she's she comes from, you know, Oxford University Press, Chambers, Harrop, Macmillan, you know, so this is not small time publishing, this is big time publishing. Um, but the author essentially praises their knowledge, shares the essence of their writings and the thinking behind their approach. But then they also, as part of that, talk about their experience of writing a book. So it, whether you like reading books or whether you are thinking of writing a business book, it comes from both both sides of the camp. And I just think it works really well. well one of the things I read was that it was aimed at writers who are also readers. Mm. So, which is a subtle difference yes, yes. To, to a lot of the book reviews. Yes. It's about the readers. Yeah. Writers who are also readers. Yeah. And I, I just think it, uh, she's got a lovely voice. She, you know, the, the format is great. She's, she's got a really relaxed, very professional um, voice. And what I liked, because I have the attention span of a gnat, as, as you are probably learning, uh, is that periodically she does like a best bits edition. So, and, and those, they seem really good and quite appetising to me. So that's 30 minutes. For example, episode 90 spends some time talking about neuroscience and what stories do to our brains. Well, we've talked a little bit about neurosculpting and neuroscience. There's a bit about storytelling and how people, when they're reading something, they like it to be a story, even though it's not, not in a childish way, but it needs to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, what makes a business book great? Uh, what are publishers looking for? So that's a bit more about if you are writing uh, and marketing your book idea. So there's, there's the science of reading, there's the science of the written word, uh, and then there's also um, stuff that, you know, relates to business. So I don't know, I just like it. I just think it's, and I like the icon and everything. It's all just it's all just really well done. <laughs> it's a really nice website. What did you think? Yeah, I, I, th I thought a number of the things about it really stood out for me. And she, she said at, at the beginning of the website, it's aimed at leaders of extraordinary businesses. That's a good that's call, a good isn't call. it? You yeah, know, that'll be me, me then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with something distinctive and significant to say. And it features books that are from both male and female and she aims for a 50-50 balance between the two which is something actually we were talking about in previous show where we were saying we were struggling a bit more to find serious business books by women mm. and uh, mm. so that, that's an interesting um, take on it and also the, the thing that I found was she had got a little sign up for her newsletter and this is the rabbit hole that I went down. Oh, dear. Okay. Three hours later. <laughs> yes, it is a little bit. So um, I signed up for the newsletter and then I got an email in my inbox, which was totally unexpected. And it was a workbook. Now, Heather, have you got any aspiration to write a business book? I kind of have, actually. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people that I know who are involved in business have got this. And you need to have a copy of this workbook. Oh. Now, I don't know whether it was supposed to come from, from this sign-up. It wasn't advertised as being a freebie. I just wonder whether it had been left. So, Alison, if you're listening, if you didn't intend for this freebie to go out, then maybe you need to check one of your newsletter sign-ups. But not until you've sent one to me. Yeah, yeah, send one to Heather. And it's a workbook with a simple five-step plan for starting writing a book. And it is really clear. I've got the PDF of, of the file right here in front of me. It's really nicely laid out. And it, it gives you um, a, a little um, question. Why write a book? 
Uh, great content is the best sales tool in the world. It's rocket fuel for your business. A book is the ultimate expression of great content. And then she takes you through the five steps for writing the book. I, I'm, I'm not actually going to share that on the air. Just, you know, maybe Alison uses this as a marketing tool herself. But it guides you through the stages that you need to consider and also provides a little worksheet. So it, it goes through and asks you to answer some questions and there's little spaces to fill in. So, for example, it's it's asking, I give a little bit away, it asks, why did you start your business in the first place? And, and takes you through what is distinctive about your business and then um, taking you through into finding who your target market might be for your book. So I, it seems very much aimed at somebody who, who's got a, a yearning to write a book, has probably got the knowledge but doesn't really know where to focus it. That's why it appealed to me, because I've always fancied writing. I just, what? What am I going to write yes. about? Who for? Who's interested? And this little workbook would really, really help. So I, w I would highly recommend if you can... You did sign up for the newsletter, didn't yes, you, Heather? Yes, but I don't you didn't get to that, have did the you? book, so... Oh, sorry. I'm Some sure it's nothing personal. <laughs> so I, I'm now following uh, Alison on Twitter. She's at Books to the Sky. Um, if you want to follow her and, and let her know that you're interested in uh, what she's got to say about writing books, then maybe she'll let you know how you get hold of a copy of this lovely book that I've got here. But yeah, I really liked it. The Extraordinary Business book club seems like a, a really interesting concept and i'm very grateful that you shared that with me Heather. my absolute pleasure i'm glad you like it we'll put the link for it of course on our website which is thebusiness.community and on that note i'd also like to mention that we've been doing a little bit of work on our website so heather's been busy writing and you've written up our story which was a, a work in progress right from January yeah. but it's there now <laughs> it's very nice and, and it's it's our little story so if you go to the meet the presenters page you you find out our, our short bios and, and our photograph and there's also a little bit about our story there as well and I've been doing a little bit of work um summarizing what we've talked about in the shows it's not quite there yet but the stuff we talked about on the show is what it's called i couldn't think okay, of a smarter a good title, title than that yep and and i've started off by listing the the gurus that we've talked about or the business leaders with the link to the particular episode that it's in i'm going to go through the process of, of the books and the websites that we've talked about as well so that if you if you just want to flick through and see what topics we've had you don't have to read all of the blog although i would highly recommend you read the blog Heather's put a lot of effort into writing these lovely <laughs> blogs. Okay, it's time for our business guru, our business leader. And this week we're talking about a woman who in the early 2000s was deemed to be blonde, successful, um, working in tech industry, and it transpired working in the online digital arena. We're talking about Martha Lane Fox, Baroness Lane Fox, as she is now. And she was, if you didn't already know it, the co-founder of lastminute.com, which was one of the very first dot-com boom businesses. Uh, she kind of set herself up to be hated by everybody, really, because... That's in her <laughs> own words, not yours, yeah. yes. <laughs> because, you know, she... Yeah, she, she, she seemed to have it all. She admits openly that she came from a fairly privileged background, but she kind of didn't really know what she was going to do with her life. And she 
worked with a colleague and set up this business. And I think that she, I find her really interesting. I'm, I had to hear her speak. And I know that Tracy, you know, she loves to get onto TED Talks and things like that. Uh, I went to my, one of my favorite podcasts, which is Desert Island Discs, to see whether Martha Lane Fox had done a Desert Island Disc. And she had. And I was thrilled to notice before I'd even heard her her voice that she chose my all-time favorite record of all time as one of her discs which was uh, which is Ain't Nobody um, by Rufus and Shaka Khan so I thought right okay I will listen to that podcast and she comes across as very down to earth okay you could say it's easy to be down to earth when you've got loads of money but she there was a hint to me that she couldn't really believe that her career had taken the path that it had taken and I warmed to her because of that to the point where she was talking about the setup of lastminute.com and the work that they were doing to get it you know to bring it to um to go live and she said that they paid five thousand pounds for the domain name but they only acquired it 48 hours before they went live because so that was last minute. So that was, like she said, it's the most last minute thing I've ever done. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I liked her. What, what did you think, Tracy? What, where do you sit with this? Yeah, well, I didn't know a lot about her, so thank you for suggesting her. And uh, I, was, I was interested to read her biography. So I, I did know about her background in the, the dot-com boom in the early 2000s. What I hadn't been aware of was quite how much she was an advocate for human rights, women's rights and social justice and uh, she's she's a patron of reprieve um which is something that you've been doing some mm-hmm. reading about um and she's she's been involved in an awful lot of campaigning so she's baroness so she's a member of the house of lords and you can read some of her speeches um they're all uh, on her website. So that's where I went. Sadly, this week, in my research, I, I wasn't able to listen to much, which which is not my usual MO, no, no, is it, no, Heather? No, it's not. Um, but I was in public and I'd forgotten to take my headphones. So I didn't, wa- I didn't want to um, inflict all of my listening on everybody else around me. So it, it was all reading. So I went to her website and had a look there. And her website is marthalanefoxblog.wordpress.com. And... A lot of her blog posts currently are about the work that she does in the House of Lords. So she'll either put a transcript of her speech or she'll put a link to a transcript of the speech on there. She also did um, Dimbleby lectures. And uh, again, I couldn't listen to that because I wasn't in the right place. But I read a transcript of that. So some really interesting stuff there where she makes some some really strong cases, particularly in support of um, making the Internet a safer place uh, and also getting uh, more gender equality, particularly in the the technology sector. And uh, I also then went to look at social media. I I like to read what people write about themselves on social media. And I think that gives you a little insight into what they were thinking at the time. They wrote it where where they see themselves at the moment. So her, her Twitter bio is dot com dinosaur apparently fighting for a fairer internet at dot everyone eu chancellor of at open university and cross cross bench peer board member of at twitter so i found out quite a lot about mm. her there she's got really good um 
followers. She had 171,000 followers. She follows around two and a half thousand. So she follows more people than I do. Yeah. So she um, she is interacting with people on there. And I also went on then to have a look at Dot Everyone on Twitter. And that's a think tank championing responsible technology for the good of everyone in society. Founded by Martha Lane Fox and led by Rachel Caldicutt, who I am now also following on Twitter as well. So then I went to have a look at LinkedIn. Not everybody keeps their LinkedIn profiles up to date. And um, I don't know if, if Martha Lane Fox has updated her LinkedIn profile recently, but it gives a slightly different view of what she does. And, and it uh, led me to understand a couple of other connections that she's got. So she writes on LinkedIn, I am founder and chair of Dot Everyone. I am director of Twitter. I am NED, Ned, non-executive director of Donmar Warehouse and Queen's Commonwealth Trust. I am Chancellor of the Open University. I am co-founder of Lucky Voice, which is another one of the companies that she's been involved in, mm. which is a chain of karaoke bars. So, yeah, I, I found her really interesting. A woman I'd actually quite like to meet. I would be very interested. I think she would be great as a speaker. She is on all of the speakers' websites available for hire. And, um, you know, I, I think some of the subjects that she's talking about, I, I, I think, are, are really worthwhile as well. I think the, the thing I would add to that is that, yes, she, she made her fortune out of digital technology, but she didn't just say, well, I've made my money out of that and, you know, I'll go and live on my own private island. You've mentioned her involvement with the anti-death row campaign group Reprieve. Uh, and she um, she said that she, um, she she came she found out about it while she was um, having a number of operations. She she was involved in a, a, a pretty serious um, road traffic accident in 2004 and by all intents and purposes should have died, but um, had much surgery and was in hospital for about 18 months. And during that time, she heard about the plight of a young man called Ryan Matthews who was a teenage American who was on death row. And she, as a result of that, used her own money to fund DNA tests that eventually saved him from execution. So she, you know, she's a force for good in that respect. And also the dot everyone um, that, that you've mentioned, Tracy, there is there are a couple of digital attitude reports on, on that um, site, which talks about you know, where digital is now and how intrinsic it is to our everyday lives. And and that in itself, you know, she's working to make sure that we understand what this thing is that we've got. It's not just a money-making machine. It is, it, it, it's it's a kind of utility now. And, and there's some really interesting stuff on there. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll put all of these links, uh, such as they are, about Martha Lane Fox on our website, which is thebusiness.community. And in my research, I also found another resource, which uh, I probably will be going back to for other shows. And it's on the BBC website. And it's a section with really short videos. And it's called CEO Secrets. And it's where um, CEOs, as the name suggests, share three tips uh, of uh, secrets of their success. And so... Martha Lane Fox, uh, just a one minute long video. I did inflict this on the people around me when I was watching. I thought one minute's not so bad. I, I can do this in public. Um, but it in they include other videos from, uh, for example, EasyJet boss Carolyn McCall, Joe Malone, 
and, and so many others. So that's Brilliant. really worth taking a look at as well. Um, and one of the um, secrets that she um, shares in this video is the quote that I'm actually going to use. So I'll share the first two. Okay. I'll share the third one. That will be my quote. And then I'll hand over to you, okay. Heather, for your Lovely. quote. So firstly, she says, hire people based on a rigorous interview process, not gut instinct. Her third one, which doesn't really make as much sense in a second place here, but I'm doing it to get the quote in the right order, is get on with it. Yeah. Time is moving, marching on, get on with it, just do it. And the third one, which I'm going to take as my quote for the week from our featured business leader, is start from the beginning, imagining a scale business and build to scale. Fantastic. I have quite a long quote, but I think it's really valid. She says, I think the one thing I've tried to keep in my head all the time is just ask. It sounds so easy, but it can be so hard to do. No one has screamed with laughter or rolled their eyes, even when I think I've sounded dumb. I realise that I'm in a very lucky position, but I urge you to just ask over anything in your life that feels scary or unlikely. If you ask with politeness and humour, I'm pretty sure the worst that will happen is someone says no. Excellent. What a great way to end the show. That's just about all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.